You're listening to audio from Mercy Hill Church of Port Austin. To learn more about us, you can visit mercyhillpa.org. It's that dreaded song that we've all heard and we've all learned to hate. I just want you for my own, more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. Oh baby, all I want for Christmas is you. How many of you love that song? Any of you? All right, you can go ahead and leave. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Um, But that song is, it kind of captures the introduction that I want to give you this morning. And it's just the idea that at Christmas time, um, we really start to think about the things that we want most. And one of those things is love. And later this, this afternoon, if you pull up your Christmas playlist and start playing it and and you're listening to the different songs, just take note of how many songs there are, Christmas songs, about love. Whether it's the joy of taking a walk with your favorite girl, or those brightly packaged, tinsel-covered Christmas blues that come when you can't. Um, So many holiday songs are about love. And I think the reason for this is because the Christmas season, more than any other, really seems to highlight the homesickness of our souls. You know, the scriptures teach that at one time... Humanity was in Eden, this perfect garden sanctuary with God, and there was harmony, and there was love, and there was joy, and there was peace, but they chose to rebel against God and his good rule for them, and they were banished from Eden, east of Eden, and ever since then, them and all of creation and us and all of their descendants have been longing for Eden. We've had a homesickness of the soul, and there's just something about this time of year that seems to highlight that homesickness. There's this, this magic in the air, and, and there's songs, and, and it's like everything's so beautiful, but it's just not quite right, and we're not quite home yet. And it reminds us that God has placed eternity in our hearts, like Ecclesiastes says, and that we're longing to be home with God where there's true love and true joy and true peace. It was Paul Tripp who commented, there are two questions that every human being everywhere has asked, regardless of race, ethnicity, geography, history, age, or economic or social status. Number one, will someone love me? Number two, once they get to know me, will they still love me? And today we're going to learn about a coming king who isn't just infinite in wisdom and power, like we saw the last few weeks. He's also infinite in love. And in eternity past, he not only chose to love the people he would rule, he saw them in all of their brokenness, in all of our horrible sin, in all of our faults, in all of our failures. He knew every wicked, terrible, horrible thing there was to know about us. He knows us more than we know ourselves. And yet he still chose to love us anyways. A few weeks ago, we began this series in Isaiah 9 about this coming king. And I told you that the events surrounding This passage took place 700 years before Jesus came, which is just remarkable to think about. But it was a very dark time in the nation of Israel. And and a lot of God's people at the time were no doubt wondering, will God keep his promises? Because it's looking bad. It's looking dark. It's looking hopeless. And in the middle of this dark situation, Isaiah comes with this message of light from darkness, joy from sorrow, and deliverance from bondage. And and it brought this big question in in week one, how is this going to happen? How is God going to make this happen? We picture maybe a ruler, a a king like Gideon, who's going to conquer in an awesome way, and yet God always confounds the wisdom of this world. And he does it through the unlikely means of a child. Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born. 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What this means is that this son, this child, is going to take the burden of leadership upon himself, and he's going to rule as a faithful king. The verse continues to describe this coming king. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And in that first week, we looked at the fact that his plans are infinitely wise because he is infinitely wonderful. And you can take comfort in the fact that he's working his plan right now. The next title is Mighty God, and we looked at the fact that he is all-powerful. This king not only wills things to happen with his wonderful counselor, he makes sure that they happen with his mighty power. And today we're going to look at that third term, everlasting father. And we're going to do it in the same way that we have the last couple of weeks. We're going to look first at what it means, and then we're going to look at why it matters. And so let's start with the fact that he is described here as everlasting. This is simple, and it's mysterious at the same time. It's simple because we all know what everlasting means. At least we have an idea. It just lasts forever, right? It, it goes on and on and on. It's something that has no end. And so it's simple in that it refers to the fact that this king will reign forever. But it would have been really mysterious at the time because, again, this is kind of an unpacking, an expansion of a, a verse of chapter 7 where it says that the virgin is going to have this child. And then here in 9, 6, it says it's going to be a child. It's going to be a son that's given. And, and so they would have been like, how is it possible for a human king to rule forever, to be everlasting, to be without time like God himself. And so it's mysterious. But we know this question is answered in the incarnation. That's just a fancy term that means the eternal God who has existed for all time enters the very time that he created and becomes flesh in the person of Jesus. Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. He has always existed. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so even though this would have been somewhat mysterious at the time, we have the privilege of looking back and saying, we know how he did it. Fully God and fully man, Jesus comes to save us. And and a thing that would be so encouraging, even though they wouldn't fully understand this at the time, I want you to picture being in Israel's shoes at this time. They've had a a series of kings, okay? It started off a little bit shaky with Saul, but then David came, and it was like, man, David, he's an awesome king. And then he passed it to Solomon, and things were looking great. But then, man, towards the end of Solomon's rule, he became really foolish, and unfortunately, the nation divided after that, and there was just all sorts of chaos, And honestly, it seemed like most of the kings, as you read through Kings and Chronicles, they were terrible kings. And every once in a while, they get a good king. And it was like, yes, we got a good king. But then he would die, right? Because he's a human. And so how encouraging would it be for for this little ragtag band of people that's an Assyrian army is coming and, and their current king is just a jerk. He doesn't believe in God at all. It's just terrible. And God says, hey, a king is coming. A king is coming, and he's a wonderful counselor, he's a mighty God, and he's an everlasting father. He's going to reign forever. Once he takes reign on the throne, he's going to rule forever. And this would have been so encouraging that this mighty God, this wonderful counselor, is also everlasting. And ultimately, this promise is an expansion of the covenant made with David. And we were looking at the covenants in Table Talk the last few weeks, and And there was this covenant made with David where he would have a son that would sit on the throne forever. And and that is Jesus. And that's why Matthew opens by saying the son of Abraham, the son of David. It's so important that you understand the Old Testament to to really understand the new. 
But it's further highlighted in verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Isn't that encouraging? Once he brings his kingdom in with all of its fullness, there will be peace that has no end. And on the throne of David, there's that covenant we just talked about, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. How awesome is it that he's going to have a, a throne, a kingdom of righteousness and justice? Man, you don't have to wonder, is stuff shady going on there? You know, are there conspiracy theories? Are they true? You know, what's really going on there? No, no, we don't have to worry about this king. He's a just king. He's a faithful king. He's a righteous king. And he's going to rule forever. And then there's that one little nagging question. Well, how do we know? (laughs) How do we know? Because when we look around today, it's like, I don't know. Is is he going to do this? But I love the ending. It says the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to do this. I mean, God is putting the, 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 the God of angel armies is putting his power behind this promise to make sure it happens. So that's what everlasting means. He's just going to reign forever and ever and ever. He has the eternal nature of God, which makes sense because he was just called mighty God before this. But what does it mean that he's called father? Because at first glance, this seems a little bit strange, right? As Christians, we have the full revelation of God as a triune being, as father, son, and Holy Spirit. And since we know this is a prophecy, a promise about the coming son, why is he referred to as a father here? And The answer to that question becomes clear when you consider the context. Remember, this is all about a coming king who's going to take the burden of leadership upon his shoulders. And it was very common in those days for kings to kind of refer to themselves and the way that they ruled over their subjects as a father figure. They provide, they protect, they're, they're like a father figure as a king. And so it's not referring to the Trinitarian title here. It's not saying even though he's equal with God, it's not referring to that. It's referring to the way in which this king will rule. And the type of relationship he will have with those he rules. In other words, this coming king is going to rule his subjects in a way that he will be like a benevolent father to them. He will care for them. He will look after them. He will take personal responsibility for their well-being. I always say this, it's not original with me, but oftentimes those who struggle to see God as father because maybe they had a difficult relationship with their father or an absent father or or whatever the, the case may be, it's, it's terrible because that is such a lie about God because God is not that type of father. And God is not the reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection of father. But here we're told that Jesus, when he reigns, he's going to reign in such a way that he's going to be like a loving, benevolent father who's going to take personal responsibility for your well-being. How awesome is that? Especially when you consider the fact that he's the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. When you combine these titles together, like they are in the Hebrew, you come away with this reality. This king is going to rule as the benevolent and loving protector of his people forever. He's going to take personal responsibility for them, and he will never leave them. He will rule in wisdom and power and love as an everlasting father. That's what it means that Jesus is called here everlasting father. So now let's look at why it matters. And this is kind of the, the fun part, right? And so I always say this, if you tuned out during that first part, you shouldn't have, that's on you. But if you tuned out, go ahead and tune back in because now we're going to look at why this matters. And again, there's about a billion reasons why this matters. But for us as Christians, we have the privilege of looking back in history and seeing that God did begin to fulfill this promise when Jesus came. And that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus, this coming king, did come. 
And, and he did come and he did live the perfect life on our behalf. And he did die on the cross for our sins. And he did rise again. And he did ascend into heaven and take the, the throne. And now he is ruling and reigning, Revelation says. But his rule isn't already but not yet rule. It's here in part, but it's not here in full. That's why there's still wars today. That's why there's still disease today. That's why you still struggle with sin today. That's why tomorrow when you wake up, you maybe have a high on Sunday today, but tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to feel like the devil sitting on your head, right? We are still waiting for the full consummation of the rule of this king. And so while we're waiting, while we're in the middle of his two advents, the first coming and his second coming, we need to trust our king. That's what we've been saying all throughout. We need to trust our king. We need to trust that he's a wonderful counselor. We need to trust that he's a mighty God. We need to trust that he's an everlasting father. But here's the thing. We need all three of these things to really trust him. Because without this third title, and the fourth one is kind of the result of his reign, Prince of Peace. We're going to look at that at Christmas Eve, and I'm super stoked about that. But without this third one, man, he's the wonderful counselor, and he's the mighty God, but... Is he going to use his wonderful counsel for my good? Is he going to use his might and his power for my good? Is he going to use his wisdom, his love, his power for my good? And this third title tells us that the answer to these questions is yes. This king will protect you. This king will make wise plans that are good for you. This king will do these things. Why? Because he loves you with the love of an everlasting father. He will look after you. He will care for you. He will provide for you. He will take personal responsibility for your well-being. This is amazing to consider. And as I was meditating on this, I was reminded of the book, Trusting God. And I've talked about this a lot with you. Great book. If you struggle to trust God, if you're in a difficult season and you're not sure how God, how, how you can trust him in this season, read that book, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. But he shared in his book, and it's worth repeating here, that there are three truths that Christians must understand and believe if they're going to learn to trust God. And the first is you have to believe that God is perfect in love, that he is always good. The second is you have to believe that he is infinite in wisdom, that his plans are always best. And third, you have to believe that he is completely sovereign, that he is in control. And you need all three of those things to really come into that loving, trusting relationship with him. Bridges puts it this way. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. And as I thought about that book and I thought about how that's helped me in my life, and then I looked at these titles, I'm like, there they are. They're they're right there. We see his wisdom and that he's the wonderful counselor. We see his power and that he's the mighty God, his sovereignty. And we also see his love and that he's the everlasting father. In summary, we learn that he knows what is best as wonderful counselor. And he's always going to plan what is best. We also learn that he can bring about his plans as mighty God. He's an all-powerful warrior who will fight for his people. And today we learn that he's going to use that wisdom that infinite wisdom and that infinite power, and he's going to use that for our good. How encouraging is that? Because he's the everlasting father. You may say, do you really need all three of those things to really trust God? And and I think you do. In fact, um, Jonathan Worthington put it this way. This is really interesting. He said, a sovereign and a wise God might still be an all-powerful and infinitely clever tyrant, right? Like there's a possibility that this all-sovereign, this all-wise God... He might just be really, really powerful and really, really clever, but he's going to just rule in a terrible way. 
I mean, how terrible would it be if God was all-powerful and sovereign and all-wise, and yet he hated us, and he wanted to bring his rule against us? That would be terrifying. We would face terror and hopelessness unless he is also good. And the Bible screams on almost every page that God is good. And that even in the most difficult valley of your life, you can know that God is good. He is loving. And the fact that he's called here everlasting father assures us of this fact that he is not just wise. He's not just powerful. He is also good. He loves and cares for us with the love of an everlasting father. First John 4, 8 puts it this way. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that because he's everlasting, that love has existed for all eternity? And every other religious idea, love had to be kind of whipped up or created after the fact because whoever was the first being was, a, was an individual being and then they made beings and then they had to love these beings. But with God, he's a triune being. And so love has always existed in the Godhead between the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this love, bubbling relationship spilled up over onto the canvas of creation. And now we're here and he lavishes us in his love. He invites us into that love that has existed, existed for all eternity because he is love. How amazing is that? He is love. And the same king who reigns supreme over all things with infinite wisdom and limitless power is the same king who calls himself everlasting father. We all love Romans 8.28, right? It's kind of one of those bumper sticker verses, those coffee cup verses, those t-shirt verses, right? We know. That for those who love God, now a lot of times we apply that to people who don't love God, but we should keep in mind this is just for Christians, but we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And listen, I understand why we love it. I love it. I cling to this first all the time. In the most difficult situations of my life, I, I know that those things are meant for my good. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that in Genesis, when Joseph, at the end of his life, is kind of looking at all the, the horrible things that happened to him. He tells his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And here's what's amazing about it. I told you I had to write a 15-page paper on that a couple weeks ago. And I argued in that paper that God doesn't let evil happen to us and then swoop in later to try to work it for our good. <coughs> Joseph says in the same way. That my brothers meant this for evil. God meant it for good. In other words, God means whatever takes place in, in life for his children for their good. From the, very outs, from the very beginning. And that's just amazing to consider. That, that he promises to, to work all things together for our good. But you have to understand that for that promise to, to really be a reality, he has to be infinitely wise. Like how, I mean, think of the complexity of just your schedule and then multiply that by a billion, billions, and then and multiply that by the seasons and by everything that's going on. And God's up there running the whole universe and, and he's got to figure out how to make that traffic jam work for your good, <laughs> right? He's got to be infinitely wise. But not only that, he's got to be completely sovereign and infinitely powerful, right? Because he can make these wise plans for you, but, but how is he going to make sure that they happen? How is he going to simultaneously mean for evil in your life to actually be good? How is he going to do that while still maintaining his goodness? And while still maintaining the responsibility on fallen man for their sinfulness? And you're like, my brain is stretching. It should. He's infinite. How is he going to do that unless he is 
infinitely wise and infinitely powerful. And, and why would he do that for me? Unless he's infinitely loving as everlasting father. You need all three. It completes the picture. And it's a beautiful promise for us as his subjects, those of us who've bowed to King Jesus and say, he's my Lord, he's my King. We have this promise that this is the way he's gonna rule as a wonderful counselor, as a mighty God, and as an everlasting father. But there's an, another element that we have to highlight here. He loves you, but notice he loves you in a way that's everlasting. And, and I highlighted this a couple times now, but he, his love for you, you need to understand this, it began in eternity past, and it will continue into eternity future. And, and this is so important for us to understand. Charles Spurgeon is a dead mentor of mine. If you don't have any dead mentors, I'd recommend to add Charles Spurgeon to the list. He's a great one. Um, but you should hang out with dead people because they are, not, um, they are not breathing the air that you breathe. They are not influenced by the, the, the social media that you're scrolling on and the news that you're watching. And, and they have a different perspective. And it's a healthy perspective a lot of times. But Charles Spurgeon is one of my dead mentors. And I hang out with him a lot. And he said this. And, and I think this is just so awesome. And by the way, I mean, I read his books. If you're not, if you're not catching that, if you're like, what is he? Is he going to the cemetery? Like, no, okay, I read his books, all right? He highlights the fact that Christ loved us and delighted in us before he created us. From everlasting to everlasting, he has set his affection on us. And then he asks all these questions. Listen to this. It's kind of long, but it's worth it. Listen. He says, believer, has he been so long about your salvation? Will he not accomplish it? Has he from everlasting been going forth to save me, and will he lose me now? Has he had me in his hand as his precious jewel, and will he now let me slip between his precious fingers? Did he choose me before the mountains were brought forth or the channels of the deep were scooped out, and will he lose me now? Impossible. He continues, I am sure he would not love me so long and then leave off loving me. If he intended to be tired of me, he would have been tired of me long before now. If he had not loved me with a love as deep as hell and as unutterable as the grave, if he had not given his whole heart to me, I am sure that he would have turned from me long ago. He knew what I would be, and he has had long time enough to consider it. He knew me before I knew myself. He knew me before I was myself. Long before my members were fashioned, they were written in his book. His eyes of affection were set on them. He knew how badly I would act towards him. And yet he has continued to love me. Do you see the point? Christ set his love on you in eternity past, if you're a believer today. He looked at you with all of your faults, all of your brokenness, all of your sin, all of your rebellion. And he said, I love them. And I'm going to purchase them by dying on the cross for their sins. He loved you because he loved you, not because you were lovely. You didn't earn his love. You didn't even exist yet in time. And he set his affection on you in eternity past. And for thousands of years before you were born, he had time to reconsider. I don't know about this one. But he didn't. He has not. And he will not. His love for you is as everlasting as he is. Amen. What, what a powerful reality. Do you understand that reality? That we get to wake up and walk in every day for believers? Do you understand that, a, that a, a wandering world is searching for this kind of love? Will someone love me? Will someone know everything there is to know about me and still love me? God says, yes, I will. And if you question it, just look at the cross. 
where I purchased you with the death of my own son. It's not just love, brothers and sisters. It's everlasting love. A love that stretches from eternity past to eternity future. A love that will never let you go. A love that so fills us that we don't have to go looking for lesser love somewhere else. This is the love of King Jesus. And so if you're tempted to question his love, remind yourself, he chose me before I ever did anything wrong or right. He loves me because he loves me. I didn't earn his love. And there's nothing I can do to lose his love. And then fix your eyes on the cross where he proved his love for you when he wrote it in red. And he took your sins upon himself and he paid the penalty that you deserved. He died in our place. He was buried and then he rose again triumphantly. This is the kind of love we're talking about. And by the way, if you're here today and you've never entered this love, this is just kind of a distant, faraway thing that Christians talk about but you don't quite understand, can I just invite you? Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. <coughs> Can I invite you to step into this love today and recognize that if, if you have a, a thought or a feeling or a desire to come to Jesus today, that, that that's him pursuing you? Because we're in darkness, we're in sin on our own. And so if there's any part of you that's saying, man, I, I need this Jesus that you speak of, come to him today and be saved. You can call out to him with a simple childlike prayer and say, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner separated from you and that I've been searching far and wide for a love like this and yet I see it now. I see the cross where you died for my sins and rose again and I am trusting in you alone to save me. If you will do that today and you will pray and repent and believe of your sins, you can be saved and you can enter into this love with the rest of us believers, a love that will never let you go. What a wonderful invitation. He took our sin He paid our penalty. He bore our wrath. He conquered our grave. He defeated our enemy. And he rose again as King of kings and Lord of lords to rule as our everlasting father with his love that is everlasting. As wonderful counselor, he knows what is best. As mighty God, he can accomplish it. And as everlasting father, he wills what is best for you. And it only makes sense that these glorious truths will result in peace, which we'll look at on Christmas Eve. But as I close today, I want you to consider the fact that the wonderful counselor and the mighty God is also this king who loves you like an everlasting father. He delights in you, not a future version of you, not when you get your act together, not when you check the boxes, not when you get those New Year's resolutions that you're going to make and you're going to fail and you're going to try to make again. That's not, when, that's not when he's going to love you. He loves you right now. Right now, not a future version of you. Right now, he delights in you if you're his own. Man, how awesome is that? Walk in that love. In Hebrews 13, 5, he promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, why? Because he's the everlasting father. So as we close today, I want to leave you with this. Your everlasting father will never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to think about this this week. As you, because I know our, our hearts, right? They're so prone to wander. They're so fickle. And, and they're just going to latch onto things this week to try to find love. And it's like, just stop. My king, my everlasting father, 
loves me and he will never leave me nor forsake me and he fills me with all the love I'll ever need. And step into that love again. Preach the gospel to your heart and walk in that love. He will accomplish his plans for you. He will fight for you and he will love you with an everlasting love. Your everlasting father will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this third title that, that we needed to really fully trust in this King, Jesus. It's one thing that he's infinitely wise. It's, it's amazing, and it's, it's amazing that he's infinitely powerful, but, but we needed this third piece. We needed to know that he's good and that he's loving and that he will wield his wisdom and his power for our good. So God, I pray that as we leave this week, this would echo in our hearts and minds, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God, I pray that we would walk in that love. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.